You're listening to a podcast from 702 and Cape Talk. And in the literature corner this morning, we're looking at book reviews with our guest is Karabo Holeng, book reviewer and arts journalist. Uh, welcome. Thank you so much, Ray. It's always lovely to be here. And uh, yeah, chatting books. Talking got, books. Yes. yes. My favorite thing to do. <laughs> Not a bad idea. Now, I'm in your hands. We're all in your hands because uh, we're looking at new things to read, new ideas. And mm-hmm. let's start with The White Room. Craig Higginson. Tell us more. Yes. Now, Craig Higginson is one of those literary writers. So his work is very sort of, when you say literary, it's prize winning, you know, being studied at university kind of work, you know. And The White Room is a very interesting uh, read in terms of, you know, he's he's based here. But the story uh, unfolds mostly in Paris, London, and then there's bits of it in Johannesburg. What it's essentially about, it's about this woman, Hannah Mead. She's a playwright, and uh, she she falls in love with a Congolese man in Paris while she's working there as an English teacher. But she was born and raised. She was born in the then Rhodesia. The family had to flee the war to South Africa. The mm-hmm. mother, her, mother, her mom was a, was a war correspondent journalist, so she was always flying off to war zones. So she grew up, you know, with her twin brother uh, being taken care of by someone else. So she has a lot of pain, you know, for, ne- feeling neglected. So she's got a lot of psychological issues, and her brother dies. And uh, we're not sure whether he committed suicide or not. And he's gay. And dealing with that coming out in the late 80s, early 90s, South Africa. Oh, yeah. Difficult it's a whole time. thing. Yeah. But then Hannah move, uh, goes on when she finishes varsity to go and teach English in, uh, in France. And that's where she meets this Congolese fellow who's one of her students where she teaches. And then uh, she also moonlights. So she gives private lessons. And she gives private lessons to him. And they fall in love. Right? It ends badly. Um, it, it, <laughs> okay. it ends badly And where the story begins Is a good 20 years later uh, At the opening of a play Hannah's become a successful playwright In London And she invites Pierre Because she's always wanted to Kind of clean up the past You know it was one of those You know, It ended in, in really messily And she just wants to sort of catch up And um, they go to the play And it turns out that this play is based on their love affair. Oh, wow. Yes. Oh. And then, but, but you know, a, a lot of the themes that the book covers with that is about some of the deceptions that we have even within our relationships, you know? Mm. Um, in love relationships, when they're fresh or when you want someone to love you completely, maybe you paint a picture of yourself in a way that isn't necessarily 100% correct, or when you're trying to get to win someone's affections, you tell them a story that may not be 100% true because you're trying to get their sympathy. So it's about those kinds of deceptions that we have in our intimate relationships. It's very uncomfortable. You see, that's so interesting because we all do that. We do. We pretend to be somebody we're not. I mean, look, I've caught myself lying outright to a boyfriend. <laughs> I made up a story. It's like I was telling him a story about something that happened, but I decided to embellish it. And it was almost, I, did, I didn't plan to do it that way. Yeah. But we do that. Yes, we do. You know? And also being honest with ourselves and the things that cause us pain. Because she's, she's a complete, I mean, she's, she's, a pain, she's a character who lives with a lot of pain. Mm. She doesn't see her own beauty, you know. Her, her beauty is something that is experienced almost in a third-hand kind of way. Uh, in the sense that, um, you know, how men kind of respond to her. 
But the way that she, she also connects with men and the kinds of relationships that she has with men uh, bring out a side of her that she hates. She has a lot of sort of self-hatred. And it's funny because it's almost as if, and, it, and it's about her sexuality, right? And it's, it's almost as if it mirrors that of her brother because he was, he was battling with being gay. And, um, you know, and he was a beautiful boy. And it, she always felt like he was the beautiful uh, the beautiful sibling and she wasn't the beautiful one and that happens so often yes it does that sibling rivalry between my brother my sister is better than me better looking than me yes. and it's all about identity i suppose yes definitely and then you've got the, the 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 fact that you know she's english south african but she's not from england she doesn't have the passport sure you know yeah. uh, but also you know that that side of her identity is not really something that's explored because she's got this you know her 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 family history uh, tracing the way that you know following the way that it does so it's not really a book that's that's you know that's grounded in south africa but there's bits of that where you read about her varsity experience. You can recognize it. Mm. You know, it doesn't name the university, but you know it's Vits. Okay, I'm, I'm biased. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Vitsy. Sebes uh, uh, is, is a rodent. I'm a Vitsy. I believe so, so, yes. We all have our problems. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's the white room. And uh, Pierre, his story is, is, is heartbreaking because um, he... He is from the Congo, but he's adopted by a French couple. Uh, he's rescued from um, when the Interim—I uh, can't say it properly. Those rebels from uh, Rwanda who went into the eastern in, in, into Congo. Yes, them. Yes. yes, we'll just call them them. Yes, and they—they they basically slaughtered. It was mass slaughter. Yeah. So he was one of the kids that was rescued by Médecins Sans Frontières, and he was adopted in France. So he's also dealing with those by a French couple. So he's dealing with you know being black, mm. but being you know growing up French and and all of that, and how they meet and how they test each other, on who is the more genuine. You know, out f of the two of them. It's fascinating. And because it deals with, she's teaching him English while all this is happening. Yeah. You know, so it's a student-teacher relationship. So even even in part of their foreplay, you know, um, and, and part of them flirting with each other, you get English lessons. <laughs> you know, <laughs> past participle, uh, yeah. uh, conditionals, and and all of that. So yeah, it's it's and it's it's quite a literary book. Is it a, is it an easy read though? Because it no. sounds very involved. No, it's not easy. Yeah. It's not an easy read. You really have to take your time with it. You know, because also he writes it in, in, in five acts. Right. So there's also the, 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 the kind of play, the play style. The narrative arc isn't smooth. So, you know, you're jumping back and forth with each one's history and what they say to each other. Uh, the use of dialogue as well. Um, he uses a lot of dialogue. Mm. Um, and there's the split between the dialogue and then the internal dialogue that Hannah has. Right. Uh, because it's, it's more Hannah's story, you know. Uh, so it's not an easy read. It's a, it's a, it, it, it is a pretty highbrow read. Yeah. But I think it's worth, it's worth the effort. Well, it sounds interesting because you're going also national identity, personal identity, mm -hmm. personal introspection, I suppose. So there's v many sort of themes to this book. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, he's, he's done. He's, yeah, he, he worked hard, I think, on this one. Or he's one of those genius highly literary people. I mean, he's an award-winning writer. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I think he had, yeah, he had the UJ Prize for South okay. African Literature and English for two consecutive novels before this one. Okay, interesting. So, yeah, yeah. he's a highly accomplished uh, author. 
All right, let's get to your next one soon by Andrew Santella. Looks fascinating. Yes, it is about procrastination. Oh, we all do that so well. <laughs> <laughs> and he tells the he. It's basically you know, an, it, it's history, the hi- history of procrastination from, uh, you know, well-known figures in history, some not so well-known, and it brings it down to sort of behavioral economics with you and I, the mm-hmm. everyday person, you know. And uh, what's what's nice about it is is that. You know, now I, I, I'm sort of, I'm three, three, three quarters through. I'm sort of putting off finishing it because I'm enjoying it so much. But you're procrastinating, aren't you? <laughs> exactly, right. <laughs> and, and, and also, I mean, I'm, you know, a, a lot of people are chronic procrastinators, you know, and especially um, people who have to work with deadlines. For myself, uh, for example, I, when, I, when, I have to write, uh, when I have to write pieces or reviews and I have a deadline, oh, it takes me, you know, just... I can't just sit down and just get it done, you know, and the things that we do when we should be doing what we should be doing, you know, Mm. um, it it sort of explores that as well. And one of the most fascinating, um, you know, fascinating stories that he tells is how, for example, Charles Darwin, um, he he gathered all his his studies and and everything with the origins of the species and all of that. And he didn't publish it for 20 years. He spent 20 years studying barnacles. And taking his dogs for walks. Oh, my gosh. So he just procrastinated. He procrastinated he, for 20 years. But all of us have those projects that you put somewhere. I'm going to do it. You have the talkers and you have the doers. Yes. And sometimes we're sort of mixed between both. Yes, we are. And he also talks about the, the you know, the the morality issue around procrastination, where he speaks about, he speaks from Christa, from the point of view of Christendom. Yes. Uh, where there is a saint he may or may not have existed, called St. Expedite, right? Okay. And uh, what happened was uh, he was he was, a centu- he was a centurion who was then, uh, he wanted to convert to Christianity. But a crow told him to just wait until tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Give yourself 24 more hours as a heathen, and then like, you know. <laughs> 24, another 24, just keep going, 24. So he decides that no, he's not going to do that, and he, he, he stamps this, uh, this crow to death. He kills it, and, con- and he converts immediately to Christianity. And it turns out that the, the crow was the devil trying to tempt him. Okay. And St. Expedite now, he's, um, you know, one of the spaces where he's recognized is in New Orleans at one of the churches there. And... Um, it, it, it sort of ties in with that whole thing that you should rep- repent immediately after you've sinned. Mm. You know, uh, don't put off stuff. So that there's also, you know, it's, it, there's a kind of moral load uh, that, that comes with procrastination. That, you know, good people don't pr- procrastinate. Yeah. You know, you do what you're supposed to do. You know, good workers don't procrastinate. You do it now. Yes. You work today yes. while the sun is shining. And then another one, um, another one that he talks about, he writes about is Leonardo, um, not Leonardo, Michelangelo. Is it? No. It's Leonardo da Vinci. So yeah, I, mix, yeah. I, mix, I always mix those two well, up. Well, exactly. They're very similar. Well, they yeah. were very similar, but they're, yeah. And he was a chronic procrastinator. You know, he was a brilliant artist. People loved commissioning him, but they knew it could take him forever. You know, um, it, you know he'd, take, he'd take seven years to build, to, to make an artwork that he promised he'd deliver in five months. Mm. And one of, you know, his biggest acts of procrastination was a sculpture that he built, and he died before completing it. And it ended up being completed by an artist in 1999, 500 years later. <laughs> 1999. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there, there's a work that ended up being completed by someone. And then, you know, also... It, it looks from a behavioral perspective, 
um, the idea that you that that we prioritize what we're enjoying at the at the moment, mm. you know, and we we, we we put this thing off that we need to be doing because because of the joy factor. Right. So I suppose you know the way that I work with procrastination is that I give myself incentives. So I will withhold something pleasurable from myself until, until I've done what I need to do. But then sometimes I think I stuff it because you know I've got a little bit of a hidden inside me, <laughs> hidden, a hidden hidden inside me. So yeah, this uh, soon by Andrew Santella, uh, Santella is it's, it's, it's an enjoyable book and you know you don't have to stress about it it's a short read um, and the, the, it's, it's you know it's bits of history and it's just it's different short stories yes. different short stories is there sort of a wrap at the end a, a general theme maybe that runs through the whole thing apart from procrastination but I mean do you get to the end and say I've got to read this final one to wrap it up or is it just a central message it's a central message about our behavior. Right. It, it, it's, it's about human behavior. So if you're somebody who's interested in what drives us and what makes us b- behave the way that we behave, I think it's a, it's, it's a book that's worth reading. So he doesn't really you know, provide any definitive answers at the end. Mm. Yeah. So, okay. So the, the central message is exactly that, procrastination and whatever. But to be honest with you, is it a read for sort of youngsters, for everybody? I mean, who fits into this? fits into this yeah i think anyone who's interested in human behavior okay. i think you know it's it's a book that i i think a, a 19 year old could pick up and it's a book that a 90 year old can pick up yeah uh it's very you know it's it's, it's very universal uh in, in terms of the stories that are told obviously i mean women are always invisible so there are no women famous women procrastinators which kind of disappointed me because I thought, you know, I need no, to have... Hold on, you can't, can't do that. Can't Famous I, women can't, procrastinators. Can't I, have, can't I have a woman procrastinator spirit animal? You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, why must guys always have everything? So, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah, so I think that's the only thing, you know, the, the, the story is, and obviously it is told from a Western perspective, sure, you know, sure. he is an American, so it's, 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 it's one of those, it's an international kind of release, and it's lots of fun. It's a, it makes a great gift. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, because it's 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 not it's it's he 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 speaks plainly and it's funny and it's fun to read, so it's it's really it's something for everyone. Right, soon by Andrew Santella. Next, I'm sorry, not sorry. Now, this is by Haji Mohammed Dorji, who I know did speak to you, CBS. She did come onto the show. I remember chatting to her as well. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting read. Sorry, not sorry. Experiences of a brown woman in a white South Africa. And I think it's very applicable. What's been your take? Well, I read the blurb and I got scared. Right. <laughs> it's deep. It's, it's deep. It's, it's a big read. Yeah, it's, it's a big read. And she hits hard, hey? She pulls no punches. Where, for me, it really stood out. And again... Uh, because, you know, we've, we find connections as South Africans in interesting places, in interesting spaces, was uh, when she writes about Islam, mm. you know, uh, because for her, you know, as, as a gay woman and, you know, she, she's, she's, she's a Muslim, but she talks about, you know, the, the women in Islam who are the ones who are the great leaders. Like Khadija, she was the first Muslim. She was the founder of the empire. You know, like Aisha, who, who was a great warrior. You know, she took people to, to war. Mm. And uh, Fatima, who started one of the world's first universities of its kind, you know, in, in, in the known world. So, you know, she also writes about the, the issue as well of separating men and women in prayer. 
you know, and you know, she said, you know, she when when she can also pray in front, you know, then they then they can have the conversation further. So, you know, it, it's it's she she writes about it, you know, from her point of view. But I think I get a sense as well that she's kind of talking to the to to the male Muslim community. You know, she's right. she's she talk, she's talking to the patriarchy within Islam. And one of the reasons why it struck me is that um, I was Muslim for three years, so I'm 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 a I'm I'm agnostic now. Okay. Uh, and yeah, if I was in Sudan, I'd be hanged. So fortunately, well, you're not. You're in South Africa, and it's <laughs> so to apostasy is okay as long as you still. I still love everyone, um, but. You know, it was one of those fundamental kind of issues that I had, that why can't women take leadership roles within the spiritual communal life? You know, um, having been raised by an Anglican priest where women were becoming priests and all of that, I thought, yo, I'm going to now, I, I'm not ready to start, you know, trying to be an activist in this space. And maybe I should just leave it alone. Yeah. You know, and the fact that she goes for it, I'm like, damn, I wish I'd met you like 15 years back. You know, maybe things would have been different. So it, it, it hit me It hit me at a spiritual level because, um, you know, the take that she makes, you know, it also made me think about how sincere my belief was. Mm. You know, so, so looking back at, at you know, you know the, the, the way that I felt and, and how I'd entered that religion, you know, was I really sincere in my faith? Sure. You know? So uh, that's where that's where she she hits or me in the did you, Or did you question your faith? I think that was the big thing that came out of that because yes. you're quite right. In some countries, you'd be in a lot of trouble. In this country, we're very lucky. We can speak about what's on our mind, even if it is questioning a religion. Yes. Yeah. Especially that you know we're allowed to, and I think having doubt is is something that. You know, when it comes to sort of core spiritual beliefs and, and dealing with doubt and, the, the, you know, the notions of a higher power because, you know, are we really alone in this universe? You know, all of that when it comes to religion and particularly with Islam in South Africa. I know there's sensitivity around that. And I like that you're sort of exposing it and we're starting to have a more public conversation around yeah. it because I think that it's important that we get to know about different religions in South Africa. You know, not just the, 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 the one that's, that's practiced by the majority of people. We should be having more open conversations within, you know, w- within sort of secular spaces where it's respectful, but you're talking about the different re- religions. Yeah. You know, you're, you're speaking about Judaism, uh, you know, whether it's reform or progressive, you know, uh, issues around conversion. You should be having conversations about, you know, the, the Baha'i faith and, and the work that they're doing here. Uh, they are folks like the Turquoise, ha- Turquoise Harmony Institute. Mm-hmm. They work in the interfaith space, and then they share a lot of co- they share a lot of conversations around that. But I think dealing with the problems in religion that feed the patriarchy, you know that that I was about to hit on this. We we yes. we, we are in a very patriarchal patriarchal society. This yes. is this is what we are. This is exactly what we are. And to handle something like this, to talk about something like like, like this, is very important. Yeah. Take us through some more of the book. I mean, sorry, not sorry. I just love that title. Yeah. You know, it's that she's kind of clapping back, which is also a colloquial term. Like, so whiteness, whiteness is, you know, it has imposed itself on us. It has, it has robbed us of our land and, and, and we have identity issues and everything. And it's almost like a clap back to yeah. say, you know what, whiteness, you're not going to get me down. I am still this proud brown woman. You know, and 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 uh, she, she gives ex- another example is uh, how she she actually studied music. Okay. Yeah, she's a, a graduate in music, and she taught music at the American International School, and uh, she also did horse riding. 
So all these things that you wouldn't expect a brown girl to do back in the day. But you, you wouldn't. Know, what sort of time periods are we looking at? Are we looking at a, a post-94 or sub-94? It's, it's, it's not quite clear, but it's around... I think it's it's around it's it's around the middle. Right. Okay. Yeah, it's around the middle or a little bit earlier. Okay. You know, it's it's not she doesn't make it quite clear in terms of the timelines. Right. And I also like what she writes about uh keeping your tackies clean. And uh, the all star the converse all star and also it having been appropriated by middle class white kids. <laughs> where you know <laughs> this is. thing it used to be it used to be about a, a, you know about a black identity, black and brown. Uh, identity and also there was a classism around it. I will. I still can't wear a pair of all stars because my mom had refused to allow me to wear them as a kid because she said they 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 worn by street kids and thugs and gangsters. You know, and basketball so, players in Los Angeles. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that was so, the thing. So so you know dealing with also you know those kinds of issues and and the yeah. issues of sort of appropriation and and dealing with that. You know, um, with you know don't touch me on my techies. And she also she tells uh, she she also talks you through how you know you wash your converse. And I I I, I hope that you know if it, the, the folks who are listening, if you have a pair of converse or techies and you wash them, I want to know your recipe. Because uh, she provides a recipe where, you know, you use, some people use mezina, some people use pap, you know, <laughs> to help to dry out the shoes and how you wash them and you soak them and use a toothbrush and all of that. So it's also, you know, and that's also something that's part, part of our cultural fabric. So mm. she kind of plays with that. Uh, but, and then she also writes about depression. Okay, so it's multifaceted. We've gone yes. from Islam to essay identity to depression. I mean, yes. but before we go anyway. Chatting to Karabo Holeng about uh, the book Sorry Not Sorry. We'd like to know from you, how do you wash your Converse tackies? Let us know. 11 So speaking about depression, I mean, what else does she have to say? Yes, with depression, she, she, she starts at the age of six, you know, and, and works her way up. And, uh, you know, the feeling like you're, you're outside, feeling like your parents may leave you and never come back again. Things that children are, are scared of. Mm. But, you know, how life and circumstances around you, and sometimes, you know, it's also something that's, that's, that's endogenous, it's something that's inside us, you know, with depression. Uh, she, she writes through the various phases in her life where she had to deal with depression while taking on life, you know, going through high school, uh, university, moving out of home, Dealing with disappointing her, her her parents, you know, because she got kicked out of law. Uh, of, of law, she took law as a subject, right? And the exam, she just wrote her name and her student number. She didn't write the paper, <laughs> and you know, yeah. And her parents had, you know, thought that maybe she's on drugs, and you know, all of that. So she, her writing about depression also, I think, it, it's incredible because uh, we can't say enough about depression. We live in hard times, and it affects, you know, one in three people will suffer from depression in their lifetime. So I'm glad that she includes this as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, just a very difficult topic going from depression, going into identity. And I think over the past, how many years has it been now since 1994, 24 years, it's been a very, very difficult, very difficult period for many South Africans mm. to emerge to say, this is who I am, accept me and discover me as well. Yes, I mean, when you talk about depression, for example, Nervous Conditions is one of those those seminal books that talks about, you know, a, a black child, uh, you know, you know, trying to traverse into this, these white spaces and the identity and the depression that comes out of that. But you also have this phenomenon of the white man who yeah. suffers from depression. He used to be on top, 
you hit a certain age where now you stop mattering, um, you know, other people are taking over, where's your place in, in society? So a loss of belo- a, sp- a sense of belonging, a sense of having control, a sense of having agency. And there's, you know, that's why there's high suicide rates, uh, mm. you know, among white men of a certain age, you know, late middle age, to put it in, in, um, in inverted commas. So, you know, everyone, everyone, everyone yeah. has to deal with the dark side. You know, and I'm glad that she also brings that up and she shares her version and what she went through. And what I didn't know is that she was yeah. also, she's, she's married to one of my favorites. Okay. Rebecca Davis. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So it's, it's just, you know, it, it, it even bumps her up, you know, the scale it of, does bump of, up. of Not coolness that she wasn't for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it, love it, love it. Okay, I tell you what we're going to do is we are going to uh, get some SMSs in, some phone calls in as well after the news headlines. Talking sorry, not sorry, experiences of a brown woman in a white South Africa. Haji Mohammed Dorji is the author. 702 and Cape Talk, the literature corner. Right, we have the extended literature corner this morning. Our guest is Karabo Kholeng, book reviewer and arts journalist. And uh, we've been talking about the book Sorry Not Sorry, Experiences of a Brown Woman in a White South Africa, written by Haji Muhammad Dorji. And it came up, we're talking about Converse tackies. And you know your Converse, you wear them everywhere. But eventually, they get a little bit dirty, don't they? Yes, and, and you've got to wash them. Yeah, you've got to wash them. So asking for solutions of how you wash your Converse tackies, 011-883-0702, I got something for you, Karaba says, yeah, here we go, solution, wash with Omo, then rinse it before you hang it, soak it in a white ace milli meal, and you can hang them. It would look like it's got white powder, but that's maize meal, and that's ghetto style, isn't it? Yeah. Is, yeah. It, is that what you would do? Well, I'm not a Converse girl. Oh, at all? No. Why not? Just I'm a Superga girl. Oh, Italian. Italian, though. Yes. You do the other side of things. Yes, I do the other side of things. And uh, I know this is sacrilege. I throw them in the washing machine. No, but it works. It works. We all throw <laughs> no. them in the washing machine. No, because there are people who, who for, the, for, for them, it's, it's sacrilegious to do something like that. It's like, how dare you? You're supposed to handle them with, you know, it's, it's a labor of love, you know. Uh, people, people do get attri- attached to their, to their kicks. Um, um, I've got, um, you know, I've got a teenager at home and she's, she, she, she's a collector of sneakers and yeah. it's the same thing. She, she, she washes her sneakers with reverence, you yeah. know. It's not chuck it with the rest of everything else. It's like to do not, you know, the white Nike Air Jordans and the, uh, uh, uh. So. <laughs> but, but, but doesn't it break it a little bit though? Because it will damage your tackies if you put them in the washing machine. They don't have that spring anymore. There's a yeah. problem. Let's yeah. go to Aisha in Mayfair. Hi. Good morning. Welcome. Hi, Ray. How are you doing? Not too bad. Now, how, Aisha, do you clean your Converse or your tackies? I use my mother's method. I use toothpaste. Toothpaste? Toothpaste. Explain. So you just put it on. How how does it work? No, you you take a very soft toothbrush, one of those, you know, the the travel toothbrush types, those ones that really sort of get finished quite easily. And you rub the the marks that won't come off with a normal um, laundry detergent. You rub them with white Colgate toothpaste, and quite often it takes the, the little brown spots off. That is so interesting, and it doesn't damage your tackies at all. Doesn't damage the tackies. Oh, Aisha in Mayfair, thank you. I appreciate it. 
<laughs> yeah, I've never heard of that. Yeah, me neither. Toothpaste. Uh, yes, there we go. All right, well, wrapping up our discussion, talking about sorry, not sorry, experiences of a brown woman in a white South Africa. Easy read or not really? Easy read. Easy, angry, funny, touching. Um, the very first essay, she says, we don't really write what we like. Okay. You know, we're still scared to say certain things, you know, and she... After, after explaining, you know, that we don't really write what we like because, you know, for, for various reasons. Maybe you don't want to, you know, maybe you don't want to get left out of a particular, you know, community of, or, or maybe your, your thoughts might be policed. For example, uh, if, you're, if, you, if you're a member of the LGBTQ uh, community and uh, you're scared to say certain things that might uh, see you be, be, be criticized or being shut down, you know. And after writing that, after saying that we don't really write what we like, she goes on to write what she likes and she goes for it. I, I just, yeah, I have, I have so much respect for her. It's, it's an amazing read. Are I we think. missing that in the society, though, the fact that people cannot speak up, that it is too patriarchal? It's, it's, we don't have enough books like this. We don't. And also we have the woke police on the other side. Yeah. You know, where uh, even, you know, your, your identity as a black person, where there, there are certain areas of your identity that can be fluid, mm. where, uh, you know, we have been influenced by whiteness. Uh, for example, the cultural references that I make from my teenage years, because I had a lot of European friends, I lived, you know, I was in an international community where, uh, you know, I enjoyed bands like Smashing Pumpkins, yeah. you know, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. And I should be allowed to hang out with white friends and share that. You know, and, and take that on as, 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 as something that, that I express myself with, you know, and not see it as, oh, this is a sign that you have been dominated by whiteness. No, I know exactly who I am and I'm proud mm. of my blackness. But even in the woke spaces and in spaces where you talk about, you know, women's issues and gender issues, uh, you know, even, even within those spaces, the policing that happens means that you write what we write what the leaders, the thought leaders say we should write, or mm. what we think the thought leaders, uh, you know, say we should write. And um, I think we need to start breaking out of that. Uh, hopefully, you know, the next generation, you know, we've got generation, the next generation that's coming up of young writers is starting to, to do just that. But I think that, yeah, there's, there's, we need, we need more new room for nuance and, and, and for people to f feel free to express that. Right. Let's get back yeah. to how to wash your tackies. In fact, let's go to Jason in Ridgeway. Hi, Jason. Good morning. Hey, guys. How are you? Good. Okay. How do you do it? Okay. So when we were growing up, my dad would always be a cheapskate and never buy two-ply toilet paper. So he would always <laughs> buy those single rolls. You know those ghetto ones? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and what I do is after I wash them, so give them a good hand wash, never in the, in the washing machine, give, give them a good hand wash in cold water, and um, you, what you do is you first you stuff some of that toilet paper inside the shoe, and that helps maintain the shape. Then you wrap it around the whole shoe, and that absorbs all the moisture, and I promise you all the dirt just disappears. And it, it, it actually keeps them white because I tried the, the, um, the maize meal um, way for a while, and after, after a few washes, it gives like a, a yellow tinge to your white all-stars. Mm. Uh, um, so okay. I found that. And also, back in the day, you used to get them in a size seven and a half, but you can't find them in seven and a half anymore. So what I do is I buy a seven, stuff them with wet newspaper, and that actually helps them stretch a little bit so I can get my feet in. 
Oh, that's oh. clever. That's very clever. And apparently what yeah. you can also do is put them in the freezer. Freeze them and then put them in, in, in the hot sun. Apparently that expansion uh, contraction thing. Yeah. yeah. But also, never, never direct sunlight on your all-stars. Never. Okay. So yes. How do you say that as well? Drive, always drive in, in shade. And yeah. that's the best way. Yeah. Oh, lint and and machine, machine, machine wash, machine wash isn't so bad. But what people tend to do is put it on a hot wash, ah. and that actually that melts the glue. So you'll see around the brim of the shoe, it actually starts pulling away. So that's okay. that's a no go. All right, so don't do that. Jason in Ridgeway, thank you. Good to chat oh, to you thanks, this one. Guys. Cheers to <laughs> Jason in Ridgeway. Keep your calls coming. In fact, we've got a voice note as well on our WhatsApp voice note line, which is 072-702-1702. Let's take a listen. Hi, Ray. I have about 22 pairs of Converse All-Stars, and I mean the original. The idea is to not wash those things. They're not to be washed. I'm telling you, you wear them. And I wear them and I don't wash them. The one pair that was washed by my brother, I gave it to him. So, sorry. No washing, no ideas on how to wash it. Don't wash them. <laughs> like it. Gave it to my brother. End of story. Thank you for that. Oh, 22 okay. pairs. So, she, she wears them and then when they get dirty, she goes and gets another pair. Yeah. Sure. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing Another wrong. thing that Haji complains about yeah. is that they have become expensive because they used to be yeah. an affordable pair of shoes that, you know, hers took her to university. They took her across the world, you know, on her travels and stuff. And now, you know, they, they're not as affordable. You, you, go to the, you go to the shop and it's easily seven, 800 rand for a pair. So, you know, it's also one of those things where she says, you know, it's been co-opted. You know, our, our tacky has been co-opted, but... There you have it, you know. Yeah, well, there you have it. Okay, we'll keep the conversation going today. But our guest has been Karabo Kholeng, book reviewer and arts journalist. Lovely chatting to you. And thanks for staying uh, 15 minutes extra. I do appreciate it. It's been an absolute pleasure, Ray. Thank you.